Biola. This is Hayden Avakian, your host, and you're listening to Biola Backstage. Here with me today is Professor Anna Sinclair, a widely loved and requested professor in the Public Relations Department at Biola. She cares deeply for the education and well-being of her students, which is reflected in her teaching and encouragement towards her classes. She is a mother, a full-time teacher, and a student who is currently pursuing a PhD in public relations. Talk about a full plate. Welcome to Biola Backstage, Professor Sinclair. It is a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Hayden. I'm so happy to be here. I'm so glad to have you here. Let's jump into the questions. So first of all, I would love if you could tell me a little bit about your story, because I remember sitting in class intro to public relations on the first day and just being struck in awe by the journey that you've been on and how the Lord has kind of met you in every single moment of that. So I'd love for you to share with the audience a bit about your journey. Absolutely. I'd love to. I know. And I, it is something that I share with my class on the first day of school and predominantly with my intro students, because those are the incoming students, either freshmen or the transfers or they're new to the major, and they just don't know who I am or what my story is. And so um, because my story is such, has such a visible characteristic to it, I don't want the students to be wondering what happened or why I look the way I do or want to ask me questions but not be maybe comfortable in wanting to ask those. So, so yeah, so I tell the students that I was born with amniotic band syndrome, Um, and that left me with a, it's a congenital amputation and they call it congenital because it happened in the womb. Mm -hmm. Um, so I was born literally without my right forearm and hand at the time when I was born, it happened to about one in 10,000 babies were born with some effects of ABS, which could lead to, um, cleft palate or a club foot or deformities of your fingers and toes. Mm -hmm. And in some cases, actual amputations where, the amniotic band wraps around the um, the limb of the growing baby and cuts off circulation mm-hmm. and then thus stops the growth of that limb. So that happened to me and I was born um, that way and, and was just kind of always uh, brought up uh, and raised to just keep trying new ways of doing things. My mm-hmm. parents were, the reaction my parents had when they were told by the doctors that I was born this way was like, okay, let's just, we'll just figure things out. It's okay. And my dad was already in his brain thinking about ways of getting me water skiing with one I arm because he was an avid water skier, you know, <laughs> so and he had always thought that his, you know, his child would water ski. So his first thought was, how can we make a ski handle that she could hang on to? Like, how can we, how can we be inventive and think of new ways to get her to be able to do everything that she wants to do? Mm-hmm. So I was really blessed that that was my home life. And I was also very blessed that I was able to wear prosthetics. Um, I began wearing a prosthetic arm when I was 18 months old and Mm -hmm. wore them all the way through um, adulthood until about my mid-20s. And I had a dancing arm and I had a regular, more formal arm that I would go back and forth between. And it was an amazing, it's an amazing piece of technology um, that prosthetics can, can provide to people such a great service. But when I was in my 20s, I was starting to get a lot of pain from wearing the prosthetic arm um, because I'm actually, I don't have very much arm between my elbow and when it ends. Mm -hmm. And um, it's a lot of weight. And I was just getting a lot of 
bone degradation. My skin was kind of changing and getting leathery and it was just really painful. And it got to the point where I could only wear my prosthetic arm for a few hours a day. And I was at the time I was working at an advertising agency and I, I felt like I needed to, um, to look, I felt like I needed to look normal Mm, so that I wouldn't bring attention to myself. And, and that was sort of my mindset. Mm -hmm. Um, and I was only wearing it when I would go to work. Um, and I would take it off right after the end of the workday. And I started to like, I started to realize that I was literally only wearing the arm to look normal. Mm. It was going, it kind of, it kind of moved past it. The, the fact that it was helping me do regular things more into the just, okay, if I can just wear it for a few hours so I can appear to be like everyone else and then I can take it off later. So after a little bit of soul searching and realizing that I was potentially <laughs> wearing the arm for me for the right. wrong reasons, I decided to stop wearing it uh, uh, because they, the occupational therapists and my doctors had made it as comfortable as they could make it um, without my arm just falling off of, you know, inside the socket. And so they, there was nothing more they could do on their end. So I decided to stop wearing it, mm-hmm. which that, and that's what I tell the class is like, it was a huge identity um, lesson for me. And and I really was clinging on to Psalm 139, which is my favorite oh, Psalm. I love that Psalm so much. Right. It, it just, it, it's so personal mm-hmm. and so intimate for each and every one of us to know that God formed us in the innermost places of, of just pure um, love and that he was watching us be knit together. And that really reminded me that God, he, you know, he saw me mm-hmm. in my mom's womb being put together or not, right? In right. certain ways. And that and but he still had me be here in this world, um, looking the way I did. And so I really clung to Psalm one thirty nine because I suddenly was so visible. I was suddenly, it was suddenly so apparent that I was missing a limb and, and there was nothing I could do about it. I, I right. couldn't hide behind the prosthetic arm anymore. And so I was out there for the whole world to see. So then I was starting to, you know, understand people's looks and the staring and people being unsure about asking me or just wondering what was what was my story and so Mm -hmm. I started learning a little bit about perception and about observation and how to make others feel less uncomfortable by sharing my story like I do with my class every semester so that the students recognize that this is who I am this is what happened and and I went through this crazy journey of identity and being able to almost like re-accept myself again in my mid-20s and now that I'm early 40s thank you. Um, I'm still you know I'm still in that process of, of still being okay with how I look visually to people mm-hmm. and it's an ongoing it's an ongoing journey for me yeah wow your story is incredible it almost brings me to tears every time I hear it and especially being a college student I'm 19 mm-hmm. and identity is something that I struggle with that my friends struggle with Um, Even people that I look up to struggle with daily. It's a constant choice to wake up every morning and saying, Lord, I know that you knit me together in my mother's womb. I know that if you wanted me to look a different way or be a different way, you would have done that because your workmanship is marvelous. You know Mm -hmm. how well I know it. I, I am your creation. And so it's so encouraging, you know, how how Jesus, you think of him and he left the 99 to reach the one. And it's like, even if you reach one person with your story, it is all worth it because that one person now knows their identity and can um, relate to you in a sense of, it doesn't matter what you look like, you know, it's the Lord, it's his workmanship. It's his um, just wonderful beauty that, you know, that you are. But 
it's so cool that you were able to find identity within your story um, and really just all point that back to Jesus, mm-hmm. you know, it's just a continual process of growing and waking up every mm-hmm. morning, essentially and saying, yes, Lord, I'm going to choose to listen to what you have to say about me, yep. not what Satan does. Yeah. And that's the thing, too. It's an on. It is. It's never at least for me, mm-hmm. I've never figured it fully out. Right. You know, I've, I, I, it's, it's a continual process of, of leaning into the truth of what God says, you know, who we are in mm-hmm. him and, and finding out that you can contribute to this world in unique ways. And yeah. your, your uniqueness is what makes you special, is what makes your perspective special. Mm-hmm. And and the more that we can embrace that about ourselves and and help others re- realize that that everyone has i think right everyone has something mm-hmm. whether it's visual or unseen that they may feel um, you know unsure about yeah. and and to just recognize that everyone has a story like that mm-hmm. mine might be more prominent cuz you can see it a lot <laughs> more visibly right. than someone who's struggling internally um and to realize that everyone has that story and everyone has has a process they, that they're going through. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's so wonderfully put. I love that you just kind of wrapped that process up. Um, so, yeah, thank you so much for sharing your story. Sure. On a little bit of a lighter note. Yes. <laughs> you are a full-time mom. Yep. A full-time teacher. Yep. And a student pursuing a mm-hmm. PhD in PR, correct? Yes. Actually, it's it's organizational leadership. But, right. but honestly, the two subjects are so intertwined that it, it's, it's basically that. Yeah. Awesome. Um. <laughs> and plus being another mother of a new puppy. Oh, my gosh. How do you balance all of this? Yeah, you know, it's it's funny. People ask me sometimes, like, how do you do all of this? And um, it even came up yesterday in conversation with some students. And, um, and you know, honestly, my story is not a unique story. I think mm-hmm. all of us juggle so much in life. Um, and, and, and it's been a, a little bit of a process for me to figure out how to do that. And I think that I used to think that the idea of multitasking was a negative thing because you know what they that what people say is right. that if you only you give a little bit of yourself you know you're never being 100 percent anywhere and that could be a problem so i don't want to say that multitasking is 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 necessarily that it's more of an integrated prioritization mm-hmm. of my day-to-day and so it, it it actually happens like multiple times a day I'll look to myself or I'll think to myself, hey, what is my priority for right now? Mm-hmm. Not even for the day because one whole day could have, you know, taking care of the kids or or, or teaching classes and grading papers or writing my own papers or right. reading everything. or, And so I, I kind of say, okay, what's my what's my priority for like the next couple of hours? And, mm-hmm. you know, hey, it's, it's to be present with my students and to be in class and to engage with them and to work on grading their papers. And, and then I'll have to readjust myself, you know, at, at the end of that workday. I go, I go and pick up the kids. And for a period of time, I am their mom. That is my priority. I pick mm-hmm. them up from school. We go home. We do homework. We play. Um, they, you know, all those things. And then at the end of the night, I say, okay, the kids are in bed. I'm going to write some of my own papers that I have mm-hmm. to write. And, I, and, and then there's times where the kids will come in while I'm in the middle of writing a paper and want to hang out with me. And I have to think to myself, in this moment, what's the most important thing? Right. It's the kids, right? You know, because if you're prioritizing the things that are important in your life, for me, the kids come before the paper, right? Mm. So I'll say, okay, I will, I will work on this paper tomorrow. Right now, I need to shift and I need to be present with the kids. Um, and I kind of go through that 
a little bit every single day where I'm always reprioritizing where should I be present the most in this moment Mm -hmm. and then be able to adjust accordingly from there. And then if I feel like I'm getting too stretched thin and things are starting to fall apart, then I really have to go back and and reprioritize again. And sometimes that means putting things to the side, like I'm not going to do the laundry. (laughs) (laughs) Nobody wants to do the laundry. No one wants to do laundry until suddenly there's no pants to wear. Um, But, you know, those things fall off the wayside or having a clean house. Like Mm -hmm. I love having a clean home, but I want to have happy kids over a clean home. So, or if there is a deadline for my PhD, I have to say, okay, kids, I will play with you in a few hours. Let mom get a couple more pages written. Mm -hmm. And we have to work together as a family with that, really. Yeah, that's awesome. That really speaks into what it looks like to have a life that's just full of priorities, you know. And Mm -hmm. it's such a great testament of what it looks like to live in the moment, kind of similar to the lifestyle of Jesus. You know, he was always where he was. He wasn't in the future. He wasn't in the past. He was where he was listening to his father's will for his life. So I even see that resembled in your own life of um, I have all these crazy priorities that I need to do and I don't know what to do right now, but you choose to just sit there and do the, the thing that's important for that moment, whether that's your kids mm-hmm. or your own schoolwork or teaching right. your students and being there with them. Yeah. So I really appreciate that as one of your students. Oh, I love it. Well, and that's <laughs> the thing is I always, people are always a priority, yeah. you know, especially over things, you know, mm-hmm. and, and then sometimes when all of your people are in front of you, you're like, oh my goodness, the students, the, 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 the kids, the husband, the, you know, oh my gosh, there's all these, pe-. then you right. have to prioritize those. But it's really like what is happening in front of me right now. Mm-hmm. Um, because at the end of the day, I would never want my kids to, to think to themselves, oh, my mom was too busy to play with me. She had to write a paper. Right. Because at the end of the day, it's just a paper. Mm-hmm. That's, That's from so the true. personal perspective. You know, like from a professor perspective, papers are important. But honestly, <laughs> though, papers are not the end all be all thing in this life. The people in your life, they're what matter. Mm-hmm. And you always want them to feel like they're important and that they're valued in your life. Wow, that's really special. Thank you for sharing that. Lastly, my question for you is, what is one piece of advice you have for Biola students? Such a great question. <laughs> and so there's, many options. There's so many. Yeah, there are so many amazing things that that um, that I could think of right now. But mm-hmm. I, you know, it is kind of tied to what we've been talking about today. It's the idea that we um, that in the college environment, this is the time where you kind of begin to rediscover who you are mm-hmm. in a lot of ways you're 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 trying to figure out where you fit in in the um in the the community of of the college environment and i i was learning a little bit in my own phd about the difference between belonging and fitting in wow and fitting in and i actually did this growing up myself mm-hmm. because of having one arm i always tried to fit in with people i wanted to prove to them that I was good enough, that I was smart enough, I was athletic enough, I was normal enough Mm -hmm. to be able to be in their group. And I was always constantly trying to fit in. But the thing is, is that that's, and and looking back on it now, that's just, that's not the healthy approach. You know, the idea is if you belong, if you truly belong in a community, you're accepted for who you are. Mm. You don't have to do anything to gain acceptance. And that's the difference between fitting in and, and belonging. When you fit in, you're constantly trying to adjust yourself and, and change yourself to fit into the group's mold. When you belong, you can come as you are and you're accepted as you are. And so I would say 
for students to remember that, that there's a difference between fitting in and belonging and that I would pray for the students to find a a place where they belong and that that would be here at Biola where they feel like they belong that they don't have to change who they are they don't have to prove their worth they don't have to prove their value Mm -hmm. to be accepted and that could be any in any number of situations on on campus with friends with with um, you know working out things academically or trying to figure out internships or trying to figure out churches or any kind of social dynamic on campus to just know that that students are you're enough Mm mm-hmm you are valued. You're you're a son or a daughter of the king. You're already in. Yeah. You don't need to try to strive for acceptance. Mm-hmm. Because at a place like Biola, you can be accepted for who you are. Mm. Wow. That is awesome. Come on. <laughs> I need someone shouting hallelujah in the back. <laughs> wow. Thank you so much for sharing that piece of advice. I know that that's something I can definitely take to heart and put in to practice, even just making others feel welcome too, which is a big part of your story mm-hmm. and um, just whole part of what you've learned, mm-hmm. you know, in your years of life. So once again, thank you so much for being on Biola Backstage, Professor Sinclair. It's been a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Oh, this has been so much fun. Thank you so much. I'm so glad. Thank you. And once again, I'm Hayden Avakian, your host, and you're listening to Biola Backstage. Thanks for tuning in, and we'll see you next week.